Hey guys, the goal with The Ultimate Shift has always been to help as many people as possible. So I'm so excited to announce something we are about to start and do for a limited time. We want to invest $500 into your dream, your passion, or your idea. How that works is this way. For every person who shares any episode of the podcast to your social media, writes out a review for the podcast, share that to your social media, can be through your story or via post, tag me at Ephraim Glick in it, as well as take a screenshot of both, DM it to me, and we will enter your name into the drawing. For the best written review or the best idea once a month, we will pick a winner, bring you on the show, talk about your dream, your passion, your idea, and invest that $500 into you. Again, this is for a limited time. We don't know how long we're going to do this, but it's just something we want to start as of now. It's just our way of giving back and saying we appreciate you so much and all your support for this show. Best of luck and thank you so much. The number one biggest thing in life is throwing away your pride. I say that because people are so focused on what other people think of them. Welcome everyone to The Ultimate Shift. Join Ephraim Glick and leading figures in business and entertainment as they share their stories of regular people overcoming tremendous obstacles only to achieve happiness, success, and fulfillment. Are you ready to make the ultimate shift in your life? Welcome back to The Ultimate Shift. And today we have a guy in here who I'm pretty excited about. Well, I met you one time, but I don't know you that well, but because of a mutual friend, you were highly recommended to be here. So he's lying to you. <laughs> he's lying. <laughs> yeah. So Chase Irwin, who is the GM, you're the GM of the most popular bar here in Nashville, probably downtown. Say one of them. I'm not going to step on anyone else. <laughs> well, I say when people come to town, they're more likely to go there than other places on Broadway. But Broadway brings you such a broad spectrum of places that it's kind of hard to to say that we're the best. It's hard to miss it too, though. You're, yeah, you're right there in the- I'll, I'll say we have the best location. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Let's just dive into your story. Like who was Chase before Nashville, before Whiskey Row, before, you know, the guy you are today? Like, well, I mean, if we, to Nashville? if we have like three hours to talk, then I'll, <laughs> I'll explain my whole life story because it's pretty wild. But uh, short version of me is um, I'm from New Mexico. I grew up on a border town uh, called Las Cruces. I was actually born in Deming, New Mexico, which is probably like the shittiest place in the United States. Really? Um, yeah, it's awful. Right down on the Mexican border. Yes. Um, so I was born there. We moved to Texas and my dad was going to school at the time. And then we moved back to New Mexico, to Las Cruces, New Mexico, where I spent majority of my younger life. And Las Cruces is an interesting place. I mean, it's white people are minority, which is kind of crazy to think, but there's lots of fighting, lots of gangs, no investigation. So if that can tell you kind of what I went through growing up, I have a brother and a sister and all three of us were pretty big in that world of getting involved in things we shouldn't have. I'll say. Um, yeah. And at age 20, I was in college and I was doing nothing with it. I was basically taking student loans and partying. And I made the decision um, 
to up and leave to go to LA. Told my parents, my dad thought I was crazy because I'd never been to a big city like that. And, you know, with me, it was either I'm moving out of Las Cruces or I'm going to go to prison or be dead because of the things that I was, I was doing. And it wasn't like, it was more so like I grew up pretty poor and I was doing things to try and hustle my way through life to, to get through life because I didn't want to live the life that I necessarily lived, you know? So I moved to LA, didn't know anyone. I faked a resume online. This was when, uh, I think it was monster.com was big back then. So you mm -hmm. put a resume online and then people contact you or you find places you want. So I made one online. I had a little coffee shop. I had $1,200 saved when I was going to LA. So I had convinced a buddy of mine that had an old RV to pull my Jeep and we'd go on a road trip. I would pay for gas and then he would come back. On the way there, about four or five hours in the drive, his engine caught fire. So we stayed on the side of the road for two days with all his wires burned. I'm having like $1,200 to my name. I'm not knowing what we're going to do. So we finally, we called my uncle who called a friend of his that had a mechanic shop and they basically fixed it for very minimal. It was a bunch of wires that were burned. So that was the start of my trip. If that wasn't a sign to not go, I don't know what should have been. But anyways, we get to LA, um, have no idea where we're at in LA, except we're in the heart of LA. And he stays for a few days. And then I had a girlfriend at the time that lived there. She's the only person I knew. And I stayed with her for about, I think it was like a month maybe. And then I moved into the first apartment that I found and it would happen to be in the absolute ghetto of LA, which sucked. Um, but I faked resume online. I got a job as a supervisor at a little cafe. Um, and I was networking every day when people would come in asking what they're doing. And a girl used to come in all the time and she said, Hey, my boyfriend works down the street. He's a bartender at a really nice Italian restaurant. You should come interview. So I went down there and that's basically where I learned a lot of stuff about the restaurant industry. Cause the owner was like a straight Italian guy, like five foot four. His name was Giuseppe. He sang music to the crowd. I mean, it's one of those. And so I learned a lot about what I was doing. And from there, I just kept building my resume. I, I worked at a place called Saddle Ranch on Sunset. And at age 20, I think 24, the owner asked me if I would go to Arizona for a couple years and help open a couple other places. Saddle Ranch is out there. So here you are at age 24 and you're getting moved by the owner, which is a pretty good sign. And then did that, went back to California and then was a partner in a bar there, sold it. Or got you, you became a part owner? Yeah. So, so when I left Arizona, it was 2010. I wanted to get back to California. So I took a job with a company out of San Diego to help open their place. And by help open, I mean help build it, staff it, and then run it. Mm -hmm. Did that for seven months. And uh, a guy that I worked for for a little bit in Arizona asked me if I would come look at a location in Hermosa Beach with him. Went there, looked at it. And then opened that one for him. And then um, two years later, which is 2012, we found a location in Newport Beach and I partnered with him on it. 
So you are how old now? 2012, I was 28. So in eight years, you went from 1200 bucks to, to a part owner. A partner in a bar. Oh, in a, in a business you had really had no experience in starting. Like you. Oh, no. I, what when was, I moved out, major? I had no experience. What was your major? My major was criminal justice. <laughs> yeah, no relevance. But the, the thing about me is I've always been. I've always been a networker and I've always been an entertainer. So I've always wanted like a group of friends to hang out and be entertained. So whatever it is that we're doing, I'm going to make sure that we're entertained. And so I knew at a very young age that I wanted to be in the industry that I'm in. Really? So regardless of criminal justice, the reason I took criminal justice is because I wanted to go to college to make all my family happy. And criminal justice was the easiest major you could get. And I still somehow failed in it, but that's because I didn't go. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so I went from that, not knowing anything to being a partner. And then I did that for three years. And then um, the owner of that, the main owner of that, uh, they bought me out in 2015. And I didn't do anything with restaurants in 2015 because that deal kind of screwed me over. And it kind of brought me down mentally. Um, and I was just in a pretty crazy place in my life. 2015, I, I let a buddy of mine that I'd known for years borrow a lot of money. He took off, never saw him again. Um, I invested a lot of money in a, in a medical marijuana grow. And me and my buddy did, another buddy. And the guy ended up being a con artist. He hustled 14 of us. So that year was just like, I wanted to erase it out of my life and move forward. So I started an air duct company, um, which is cleaning vents in houses, but I saw a niche for it. I was like, wow, this is pretty simple to do. So I did that and I, it was a very successful business. And then, um, 2000, the middle of 2015, I was dating a girl and I found out that she was pregnant. And so I was like, wow, well, this is just getting better. And this is him. Mm-hmm. So I had this young man named Beckham who's four now. And he has basically changed my whole life. And that, why I say that is because before I found out he was born, I was living the ownership life of, of bars and nightclubs, you know, some of them. Not all of them, but some of them. And I was partying all the time and I was doing just shit you shouldn't be doing. Um, And I'm not like, I'm not mad at myself for it. I think that, you know, it made me who I am. I always was a hustler. I always have the mentality of hustling. So no matter how much I partied or how late I stayed up, I still was at work the next day and I still was fully functional. I never, I never drank. I never did anything while working. That's one thing that I didn't do. And so, um, it made me the person I am. So had him in 2016 company I'm with now. Uh, one of their regionals had been in talks with me to come join the company. Um, and I went back and forth to Arizona with him interviewing, deciding if I wanted to. And you know, my biggest decision was going to be how we were going to handle my kid, because if I moved to Arizona, he's going to stay in California. So I'm going to have to see him, you know, as much as possible, but, 
probably hardly for a little bit. His mom and I weren't together. We haven't been together since basically he was born. Um, so I wanted to, you know, better my life again. And I took the job. We would do two weeks on two weeks off. And so that's how we did it for about a year. I was in Arizona for 11 months. And then when I knew I was moving to Nashville to open this location, his mom decided she would move to Monroe, Louisiana. So it'd be closer because that's where she's originally from. And so then we did three weeks on three weeks off. And we took this little um, eight seater, two engine plane, two prop plane to this small town. And we would meet and that's where we exchanged him. And we did that. Nashville, Louisiana. Yeah. So it's in um, the airports in Mississippi. So we had fled Mississippi. She would drive two hours to get him and then vice versa. She'd bring him two hours to the airport and I'd fly him. Um, and it was that, that airline stopped doing it after a while, which sucked. But then in, um, January this year, she moved here to Nashville. Oh, cool. Yeah. So here we are. So you, you came to Nashville as a, as a GM. Correct. For the new location. Cool. Okay. Okay. So let's backtrack a little, cause I'm interested in your, uh, story growing up too like so when you were like 10 years old 15 whatever somewhere in there like what was your biggest fear at the time before you went to college like you were still living there in la cruz or whatever what, las cruces las, las cruces yeah. yeah uh i'd say i mean my biggest fear is kind of broad but um i mean my brother and i were pretty big daredevils we were one of us was always ending up in the hospital <laughs> So my biggest fear was getting hurt really bad doing what we were doing. I mean, we were, I can remember like running across mountainsides that playing tag, like things that I look at now and I'm like, what, what was I thinking? Would you let Beckham do it? Uh, probably not. And I don't think that we let our parents do it, know that we were doing it. We would go off. And so two, two of mine and my brother's best friends that were both our ages, um, lived behind this mountain called a mountain. And it was like, a lot of land and a lot of mountains. Their parents would let us take the truck because, you know, we're teenagers and go off and we'd find these mountains and we'd play tag on them and run across them. And I mean, just shit the kids should not be doing. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm actually seeing it in him now. He's already said some things that I'm just like, wow. But um, my other biggest fear is probably, honestly, I don't, I wouldn't say at age 10, but I would say in my, my teenage years probably like ending up dead somewhere because because of gangs because of gangs and it's not because of gangs i was friends with a lot of different gang members in different gangs um it's just part of my personality i guess i didn't want to be affiliated with one gang i wanted to like make sure i knew someone from each gang and it (laughs) actually it actually saved me one night um my best best friend his name's wade him and I, he was obsessed with this girl named Penny and him and I decided we wanted to go to this party because he wanted to see her. I knew that there was going to be gang members there because I had already heard. And I, I tried to tell him like, dude, I don't know if this is a good idea. And he was so obsessed with her. He's like, dude, come on, we'll just hang out for a little while. Well, a fight broke out inside a gang fight and we were outside and I'm standing next to him. And these two guys come running past us and we're like, what's going on? We don't know. And this little dude, his name was Poojam. He's either dead or he's in prison. He has to be. But this guy 
gave zero shits about life and people's lives. He came running up and he, apparently he thought we were the two guys that took off running and he put a gun right to my head. You knew him prior to this or no? I knew people in his gang. Okay, but not him personally. No, okay. so he put a gun right to my head and I think that I was in such shock that I turned absolutely like pale and another guy that was in his gang came running out and he was like, no, no, that's not them. That's not them. That's chase. And so think like whatever else you can think that he was there because I don't know if I would still be talking about this right now, but you know, those are stories that we can have. I mean, I've, I've been involved in fights that guns get drawn and shot off and, you know, um, I got involved in crazy things growing up and people look at me and like, they're like, no way. I don't really like talk about that unless people ask about my life because to me, it's like a has been, it's it happened in the past and you know, it made me who I am. But at the same time, it's like when people tell me, you know, they're crazy or they'll do this. I'm like, nah, you're not real crazy. <laughs> but I get it all the time being a GM. You know how many people threaten my life? Like being a GM, I'm going to come back. I'm going to wait for you. What time you get off? And, Really? I'm just like, okay. <laughs> you're probably a great, great guy for the position. You leave. Um, so I was, what I was interested in is like, so there's so many kids that are in gangs and, and stuff like, you know, not even just down the border, but like inner city stuff. Like what's that first step of getting out of that? Or was there a point in your life that you were like, I mean, yeah, you already said it and you were going to end up dead or in prison, but like, yeah. was that your mindset or was it just like, you know what? You were just thinking bigger. I mean, my mindset has always been thinking bigger. I've always wanted to um, be successful. And, you know, I've always said that I didn't want to grow up. I didn't want, if I ever had kids down the road, I didn't want them to grow up the way that I grew up. Um, he wasn't planned, by the way. But the things that I was doing to to make money when at a young age was just things that you shouldn't be doing. I remember in middle school, I was, I used to hang out with this girl, which in middle school, I don't even know what you call that, but we literally did nothing. But her stepdad was a drug dealer and he, I think I was in eighth grade. You knew this at the time. Oh, yeah. You understood what oh, that he was. He used to smoke in front of me all the time. Yeah. Really? I mean, I was smoking weed when I was little, but in New Mexico. In middle weed, school. Yeah. The weed in New Mexico is like. It's like a brick. I mean, to get where you can roll a joint, it's literally like you have to scrape this stuff off. It's called Reggie and it's like this brick and it's really hard. And I think it goes for like two to 300 bucks right now a pound. Whereas actual weed goes for anywhere between two and 4,000, depending on where you're at. So that tells you the quality, but he gave me half a pound when I was in middle school and I started, (laughs) I started selling it. That was your first, most guys were like selling lemonade and stuff. Your first thing in entrepreneurship. My first thing, my first thing was I got my mom to buy me um, a bag of those suckers that had gum in them, like the big ones. And I took them all out and I put them in Ziploc bags and I sold them individually for 75 cents. But the bag, (laughs) the bag at the time cost $2.50. So there was like, what? I don't remember if it was like 40 or 50 of those things in each bag. So you do it for 75 cents and you start making money. Like that's, that's the way I figured it. So I did that. And then 
selling. <laughs> then you moved up to weed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the good stuff. Um, and then I worked in, um, I was a dishwasher at my buddy's restaurant and then LA, but I've basically been a hustler my whole life, but you know, I was never in a gang. So I want to say that right now. I was never in a gang. I hung out with people that were affiliated with gangs. Um, and I liked to fight. So <laughs> well, so who was the most influential person to you in your childhood? Like, or what do you think inspired that entrepreneurial side of you? Um, the most influential person in my childhood life would probably be so my brother and I are a year and a month apart. Our two friends that I told you lived behind that mountain, they were about the same. The older brother was my age. The young one was my brother's age. Their parents were basically like parents to us um, as well. My dad was working. I mean, he would leave the house at 4 a.m. and he would get back at like 7 p.m. Um, and my mom was working all the time, too. And they were kind of Justin and Brian's parents were kind of like the fun, like lenient parents, always doing things, dirt bikes, you know, going camping and we didn't have the luxury to do that. So they would always take us. And so I think that at the time in my early life, I looked up to their dad more than I looked up to my dad because me and my dad butted heads all the time. And it was, you know, looking back on it now, it was because I was a shithead and it was him trying to set rules. But at the same time, how are you setting rules when you're not even there? You know, you're working your ass off and you know, I look back at it now and I like, I actually feel pretty bad about the way that I, I treated him. Um, but he was super strict and that's, you know, I still don't believe in that kind of stuff. Like Beckham and I, I can see my future with Beckham and him being able to come to me with anything because I'm not going to be like, dude, I'm not going to put him down for everything that he does. He's going to know right from wrong. If he doesn't, he's going to learn a lot of things on his own, the hard way, just like I did. Mm -hmm. But Pete was his name and Pete um, passed away on a freak accident, a dirt bike, uh, a day before they were going to Vegas. But when that happened, it really kind of crushed my brother and I, because that was who we both kind of saw as our second dad and someone that we always looked up to because he was such a fun guy. Um, and he was also a hustler. Like he always was doing something to make ends meet for the family. So I think that that was, um, who I looked up to the most. What made me change the way I was as far as like, like, like this was this was probably before a lot of social media. Like, was there any oh, there was no outer social, influence? Yes, there that was you, no social media. So there was really no one that you were watching or could look up to and be like, "I want to be like that no. guy." No, there was TV and radio, and there was the phones that you used that you had to press like the number two, three times to get to the letter C. You know, something <laughs> like that. So there was no nothing what there is now. That, um, I also was really into music growing up. I always sang. I. My dad was in a band when I was little and they stopped because they all had families and now they're back together, which is kind of cool. But I've always was in music. So I always looked to music to find ways through life. Like I always listened to songs over and over and, and dissected the lyrics and understood like what that song's about. And that's how I kind of related to that song and pushed myself through life is through music. But 
my dad came to me. I was 17. I was on my last semester of high school and he came to me and he was like, you know what? I've had it. He's like, this is your life. You're turning 18. I'm going to not be responsible for your schooling anymore. If you want to go and mess up your life, go right ahead. And I think that was a little bit of an eye opener because I was like, wow, I've, I've actually strived to piss him off my whole life because of how strict he was. And now he's saying he doesn't care what happens. And so I kind of changed gears a little bit. Um, and I started thinking, what am I going to do in life? School is not going to help me. I'm not going to graduate. I knew I wasn't going to graduate college. There was no chance in hell. I barely graduated high school. And the only reason I graduated high school is because my mom did my homework for me. Wow. She did me and two of my best friends. She would wake up at 3 a.m. while my dad was sleeping and do it with me. And then I would go to school. And I remember my senior year in high school, right before I was going into my last semester, I was already knew I was not going to pass. And she met with my English teacher and my English teacher said, you know, if Chase doesn't write a four page paper by this date, or he's not graduating. I looked at my mom and I said, well, yes, I'm not graduating. Like just a smart, everything I did in life was just smartness. And she wrote that paper and I graduated. She did it for me and two of my best friends. And we all graduated because of that. So that was my younger life. With everything you know now, like everything you've experienced, like the moving, the jump, like just taking risks, or what would you tell your 10, 15 year old self? Or what would you tell Becca? Like with, with everything you've learned in life, what advice would you give yourself at that age or someone else that's in that age right now? I mean, I think if I could go back knowing what I do now, I would tell myself to think longevity in a lot of decisions that you make down the road because you make decisions based on presence mm -hmm. in the moment. And a lot of times those decisions you're making in the moment are the wrong decisions because you're thinking of in the moment. You're not thinking down the road. Mm -hmm. You're not thinking, Hey, I can sell weed right now and make 500 bucks in a week, but I go to prison and be gone for five years. Yeah. You're not thinking of stuff like that. And so I think that's what the message I would deliver. And that's kind of going to, I'm going to be a very open book to Beckham. He's going to know what took place in my life. He's going to know all the ins and outs of what happened because I want him to understand like, you know, we all make mistakes and sometimes it, it turns out being way worse than others and that can happen. But I want him to also be able to know that he can rely on talking to me about his personal life. And if he's struggling with things or if he's, you know, starts going down that path and he wants advice that he can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of, you know, I did that. I was, when I lived in Hermosa Beach in 2010 to 2012, and I was doing some wild shit. You know, I was, when, that's when I was partying all the time. And I remember after high school, my dad and I became really close because I was out of the house and it's then you're like, okay, he was right. Like, I'm just a shithead. So fast forward to Hermosa Beach in 2012. I was doing some wild things and I remember calling him one night, I think it was like 4 a.m. his time or 5 a.m., something like that. And I told him, I said, I think you need to get on the next plane from New Mexico to California. And he said, why is that? And I said, I just think you need to come out here. There's like, we, I need, I need your help as a father. That's basically what happened. And so he flew out and, um, he basically like, he talked to me as, 
as a father, but as a friend and just said, look, you, you know, I can be here to help you and I'm going to help you in any way I can. Like I'm going to get you counseling or whatever is going to happen, but it's got to be on you. This has to be your decision. And I think it kind of changed me a little bit in that sense. And now my dad's my best friend. My mom and dad are, and I are really close, but right now I'd say in the last 10 years, 15 years, we've been super close as friends. They're still in New Mexico. Yeah. Really? You go back they're there? back. They're back in Jimmy. Place I, born. I go, but I don't like going. I would rather them meet at my brother's place in Arizona or somewhere. I just, I don't like New Mexico and it brings back really bad memories mm-hmm. of shit that I did. And I just don't like it. Yeah. And I'll never move back. I've heard the story. Josh has told me the story about an airplane ride. Oh yeah. Can you tell that story? Yeah. Um, because I'm, cause I'm interested in that story is crazy. That's like, that story is just wild. I, I mean, there was so many factors in that story that happened. I guess the question is why do you care or tell the so, story and then, then we can talk. So if you know, if you know me, I'm a smart ass 90% of the time. I joke all the time. People that don't know me and they barely see me out there probably think I'm an asshole, but I'm not an asshole. Like my heart for people and for friends and family is just like bigger than the world. Like I think, you know, and I was always that kid making fun of people, but deep down inside, it was like actually hurting me. I was just putting on a front, I guess, to cover up like insecurities growing up. But, and before this plane trip, I've done a lot of charity events for people. I've like, we had a family, my dad's best friend, his kid had cancer at 16 um, and they gave him a year to live. And so I put together a charity that was like a wish list for him, what he wanted to do. I told him to write down what he wanted to do, you know, while he lived, cause he knew he was dying. And we raised money to let him do all that stuff. You did all of this on your own? Right? Yeah. You started all this? Yeah, I got, I've done a bunch of like- So charities. why do you care? What, what about you makes you care? Cause so many people can just walk away and say, you know what, that sucks, but. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I can't really answer why I care. I just care. I, I want someone to be happy. I want people to live like a life. I know that if I was, if I was dying, I think it would be, you know, awesome if someone did that for me or put together stuff. And I think all the time, I always think like, what if I, if I was dying with, who would, who would do something like this? Who would be my friend and do something like this? And I don't, you know, I have a really close connection to friends. We, there's probably 10 of us that have been friends for our lives. And, you know, I don't know if that would even cross their minds. Not, not bad. That's nothing bad about them. It's just something that I don't know. Um, and so I've always, I always want to help people. I would, if I had a dollar left to my name and one of my best friends came and needed 50 bucks, I would find a way to get that 50 bucks and not tell them I don't even have a dollar, you know, something like that. Um, so that story was, I think two years ago, my nephew, or it was either my nephew or niece was graduating high school in Oklahoma. So I flew out there. We all met the family. The airport was two and a half hours away from my sister's. Um, my brother had flown in from Arizona, went to the graduation. The next day was our flights back. My brother's was at like, I can't tell you if it was like, 6am, 7am, something really early. And mine was at like 8pm. And so like, I was like, okay, why don't I ride with you and go try and change my flight and see if they'll let me. Well, um, 
I had a United flight. So I went there that early. I went to the United desk and asked them if they would change my flight to a morning flight. And the girl was being so damn rude. Like she was like, no, we can't do that unless you pay for another flight. And I said, well, why would you make me pay for another flight if there's open seats and no one's on it? Why can't you just let me do that? So she was being so rude. So I looked up flights. They were like $900 to change. I was like, what? So I asked for the manager. They said no. So I went and looked up a different airline. I was pissed at this point. I was just like, I'm not even going to fly with you guys for the simple fact of what you just did. Mm -hmm. So I looked up American airline and they had a flight that was like two or 300 bucks. So I got on that flight and I sat in an aisle seat and there was a, it was two seater on both sides. So it was like one of those smaller planes and there was a lady next to me and then one row up and one row over, there was a guy sitting in an aisle seat and a girl next to him. And he was, he was kind of leaning outwards, like towards the aisle and his font was really big. So he probably couldn't see that well or something. And I was just like looking around. I have severe ADD. And so I'm always like doing something. If you guys haven't noticed, I'm constantly like looking around. That's just me. I don't take anything for it because I don't want to rely on shit like that. But I have severe ADD and, and he was texting whoever babe was. And he was like, babe, you're never going to guess what's going on right now. And so then I start like, okay, I'm looking. And she said, what, what's up? And he's like, I'm sitting next to this smelly fatty on a plane. It's fucking miserable. And I'm like looking at this and I'm like looking to see if she's looking. She's actually looking out the plane. And the first thing I'm thinking is if she looks at this, I'm going to, I'm literally going to beat the piss out of this guy. (laughs) And so she's like, well, why don't you find another seat? And he goes, oh, I've already asked. So I'm stuck next to this fat fuck the rest of the flight. I can't believe it. And he's going on a tangent about this girl. He's like, you can't, if you saw her, you wouldn't believe it. And I'm looking at the girl and she's not big. She's tall. But she's not like a huge girl by any means. So I I went on Snapchat and I posted a story of the back of his head. And I said, should I New Mexico slap this dude (laughs) while on the plane? Or should I wait till we get off the plane because he's making fun of this girl? And I posted it and I was getting all kinds of comments back. Well, the girl next to me sees me like shaking because I'm like shaking at this moment. And you're, you're mad. Oh, I'm pissed. Like I was really mad. And she's like, are you all right? And I was like, Hey, what do you think will happen if before this plane takes off, I drag someone off? And she's like, well, let's not do that. And she shows me her badge and it's FAA. She works for the FAA. <laughs> and she's like, let's not do that. Cause I work for the FAA, but tell me what's going on. Well, as I'm telling her, I see the girl look over at him. She like looks over at his phone and immediately starts bawling. So now she's looking back out the plane cause she doesn't want him to see her crying. Wow. And then I'm just like pissed. So I call the, I tell the lady next to me, I call the flight attendant. I'm like, Hey, you need to move this guy. And I tell them the story and they're like, Oh my God, the flight's full. I don't know what we're going to do. And I'm like, well, we're going to switch then. And she goes, okay, well, how about I tell him I need to talk to him at the front of the plane. And when I do, you just switch seats. And I was like, that's fine. So she went to tell him and she started walking towards the front. And right when he stood up, I smacked him on his back and I said, get your shit and get in my seat. And he's like, mind you, I'm six foot tall. This guy stood up. He was probably mid fifties. And I would say he's no taller than five, six, five, seven. 
So the fact that he had the audacity to say some things like that is crazy to me. So he's like shaking and he's like, okay, what's up? And I'm like, I read your text. And I was like, and you see the girl next to you that's crying right now? She read him also. And I said, you're a pathetic person. You need to move seats. And I was like, if you breathe my way, if you whisper and I hear it, I'm going to drag your ass off the plane when it stops. And I'm going to beat the piss out of you. Do you understand that? And he goes, yeah. I said, not a word. Go sit your ass down. So we sat down. The first thing I did was she looked over to see why I was sitting there. And I said, hey, I know why you're crying. Um, and I hugged her. And I said, we're not going to cry the rest of the flight. We're going to talk about something that makes you happy. I'm like, do you have a family and kids? And she said, yeah, um, I do have a family and I do have kids. So I said, okay, well, we're going to talk about your kids because I have a kid also. And so we talked. We didn't even exchange names the whole flight. We talked about life and kids and she like cried periodically. And I was like, hey, listen, go. I'm like, did you see that guy when he stood up? He's pathetic. So we talked and then right at the end, she had taken a photo of outside the plane. It was like right when we were landing and it was just the wing of the plane. And I said, if you and your husband and kids are ever in Nashville, come see me at Whiskey Row on the GM there. She goes, oh, I will do that. Let me put that in my notes. What's your name? And I said, my name's Chase and Irwin. And she goes, okay. And that was a connecting flight in Chicago. This guy ran off the plane. <laughs> I mean, I, I've never seen a dude move that fast, but he ran. And so she took off on her, on her way to sh- Chicago and I went on my connecting flight and I landed in Nashville and I turned my phone on and it was like, I had, I don't even remember what it was. Something like 47 texts and calls combined, like missed. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And I, then I had like news anchors calling me right away. And I'm like, what is going on? So, um, I go on Facebook and she posted this long story about what took place and someone picked it up and it went viral, like immediately. Wow. So I was on um, Inside Edition. I was on basically every news outlet. I had it went worldwide. I had people from Germany, Australia, Canada calling, and to this day, her and I are friends. Um, she said that she had struggled with her weight all her life, and she was actually a month away from getting. Um, damn it! I can't think of it. whatever it is. She got. She was a month away from having that done. So, so basically that would keep her from eating as much or something? Yeah, so it shrinks your stomach and you lose a ton of weight. Wow, that's a crazy story. Yeah, so yeah. I, I was on all those and then ironically my sister moved from where she was living to right outside Oklahoma City and they live like 10 minutes away from each other. So her and my sister are really good friends. Wow. So it's, yeah, it was a wild story. That's crazy. So on that note, like in Nashville... What's your advice to people coming into Nashville? Like whether it's a, a singer, like how do how do you think um, people can stay on track here with so much competition? If if you want to come here to do music or something, it's easy to get caught up in. Like I like something you said earlier. You were like when you're at work, whatever you're not drinking or doing anything. What's your advice to other people to like keep their career a priority like that? Uh, whether you're a musician here or Many other things because this is a party town. Mm-hmm. And I mean, how do you, how would you advise people to differentiate the two of them? I try and like mentor younger people, you know, I try and be like a brotherly figure to young people. But my advice would be look, it's okay to go out and party, it's okay to do this. 
But what you have to sit and think of is what you want to do when you're a little older. Because in a blink of an eye, you're going to go from age 20 to age 36. And you're going to look back and you're going to be like, I have nothing to show for it. I mean, there's a lot like bartenders on Broadway make a ton of money. They could, if they saved for two years, they would be able to invest some serious stuff. And I just try and get them to realize that, you know, it's all fun right now. But what you don't want is you don't want to look back when you're in your 30s and say, what do I have to show for anything that I've done, anything that I've accomplished? And that's just the biggest thing that I could say. As far as like music and stuff, that's that one's hard because musicians and stuff like to party too. They yeah. drink a lot. And... You know, there's some extremely talented people that play on Broadway, but I've found it pretty hard for someone that plays on Broadway to make it as an actual singer for some reason. I don't know if it's because they become entertainers then. It's kind of like an act, like we're going to see the act in Vegas, you know, Mm -hmm. but I try and tell them too, like, you have a lot of talent. You should focus outside of Broadway or, you know, do stuff like that. And I always try and help singers out too. I have some big connections in the music world just through who I've met. Um, so I do things, How, do things like that. What's the first step that you would advise that person to, what, let's just say investing like a bartender right there. Like if you don't know anything about investing or, you know, let's say you're making 120 a year of bartending, which I know mm-hmm. is possible. Oh, it's very and, possible. And so like if it was you and you were 22 years old, what would you do with it? What percentage would you take and what would you do with it? My nephew, um, he works for me at Whiskey Row. He started as a food runner. Now he's a bar back. And he was about to be in the busy season. He hasn't even been there a year, but he was about to be in the busy season, which is some serious money that you can make. And I basically told him that he needs to figure out what he's making average a week. And he needs to figure out what his bills are. And he needs to put that aside. And then what I, w- I told him what I would do is depending on how much you're making extra, I would take two to $300 of that, if not more, depending on how much you're making up to 500 a week and put it into a savings that you're not even going to touch. And then you put it into a savings that builds interest. And I would assess that at the end of the year. And then if it wasn't a huge amount, I would do it for one more year. And then what I would do is I would start talking to people who, you know, invest things and are entrepreneurs that that make good investments. And that's kind of where I would go. If it's in restaurants and bars, I have places that he can invest money, you know, but the thing with restaurants and bars, it takes a lot of money to invest Mm -hmm. to get like a good spot. How big a part of success do you think vulnerability is? Or let's say for instance, if you're a singer songwriter and you made it to a certain level and if they can open up, to people and let them see the real them outside of the fame, if you will, or outside of the, like what you were saying, the entertainment, the show, how big, how important is that? In, in the I industry? think the number one key to success and this, I say this for everything, unless you come from money and you're rich and you just get hand-me-downs. I think the number one biggest thing in life is, is throwing away your pride. And I say that because people are so focused on what other people think of them. You know, and, and I hear all the time when we kick someone out, they'll be like, fuck you, you're a security guard. How much you make an hour or you're a fucking bartender. And I'm thinking, dude, they make way more than probably you do or anyone. Mm -hmm. And so 
And that hurts people's pride because everyone's so focused on what people think. Yeah. Even though they don't know them. Exactly. Why is so, that? I, I mean, I don't know because it's an easy way to put someone down and, and go on about your night. It makes you feel better. And then probably when you wake up sober, you feel like an asshole. Just like this guy on the plane. Yeah. Oh, he probably didn't feel like an asshole. He probably did it again to someone. But he, he's trying to mm-hmm. cover something. Mm-hmm. Trying to cover up insecurities. But that's my number one thing is like, who cares what people think? You're a bartender now. How about you look back when you're 40 and you took that money that you made bartending and now you're a millionaire and it's because you were a bartender. I love it. Like that's, that's the huge thing to me. And same thing with like serving and all that stuff. It's like, who cares what people think? Or adjusting or, or what you said, even, even faking a resume to that's survival. Yeah. But look where it got you. And I'm not saying everyone should go out there and fake a resume, but I'm just saying it's like you do what you have to do to get ahead. And so many people rely on other people to make this or that happen. Uh, I just I think that's awesome. I with faking a resume, I would strongly suggest people don't do that because <laughs> especially now that because you're in you can get exposed really quickly. I was relying on faking a resume. And the reason I was relying on that is because I knew nobody in L.A. So they wouldn't have ever known. And. I've been a very outgoing person my whole life. And so I was really hoping, you know, I can fake this resume and my personality is going to get me through in the doors. And that's just, <laughs> that's just me. So I don't know yeah. if I would you can pull suggest Most faking a resume, but you do, you got to fake it to make it sometimes. And that's just life. Yeah. And we're rounding up on time, but I could go on forever on this. I, I told like you if you had three hours, we should <laughs> Well, we'll just have to do two more episodes or something. <laughs> Yeah, let's do uh, it. I got like two more questions here. I think if if you were put on a world stage where the world is watching, and you had five minutes to say something or to do something that would make an impact, what would you say? I don't know what I would say. Honestly. Maybe you already did it on the plane. The world actually did see that. They did see that. I had a lot of funny messages from people saying that. Oh, people saying that I that that was set up. That it was a fake story. I'm like, oh god. You're one of those people. I would probably say um, to pick something in life that you are passionate about and focus on it, even if it's not going to make you rich. Rich isn't defined by money. It's defined by happiness and who you surround yourself with and if you're comfortable in life. And I would say pick something or a couple things in life and go towards it and don't worry about what people say. I always say go back to throw your pride away. I don't think like people should worry about pride. I spent a majority of my life worrying about what people thought about me. I put on a very good front of being happy and, and always being the life of the party. But there was a lot of times that I was like super down on myself. And, you know, it wasn't until a few years ago that I actually was like, you know what? I'm, I don't really give a damn what people think about me. I don't. I mean, I want them to like me. If I died today, I would want people to say good things about me, not, oh, well, he's an asshole. And so I do care to some extent, but as far as like where I'm going with my future, do it. Yeah. You don't, know it you don't owe shit. Yeah. Nothing. If you could ask anyone in the world, any one question, who would it be? And what would the question be? Alive or dead? I don't know who I would ask. Honestly, that's a, that's a, that's a crazy question. I would ask Kobe why he didn't pass the ball. Ever. You would ask Kobe why he didn't pass the why ball. Why he never passed the ball. I'm just kidding. Kobe. <laughs> I 
I don't know. I, I can't, I really can't even answer that. I don't know what I would ask someone that's dead or alive. Um, I, because I, I have like a million questions. I have like so many thoughts going through my head, but it's like, I would, I'm really interested in seeing how people got to where they're at. So I'd ask that for sure. Um, and I'm interested in taking, taking their stories and putting them into mine mm -hmm. and, you know, writing this book that I'm writing. You're about, writing? A no, book. I'm not. But I'm like <laughs> saying in my mind, like this book that we're all writing along our ways. Like if, if there's something that brought you to where you're at that I can take from that and help my life or my journey, then I'm going to take that. And so there's, there's not one question I would ask someone. That, that's exactly why I want to do this podcast. Okay. So final thing, you just launched this thing called Uncut. What is it and what's the goal behind it? So Uncut Experience is a passion slash hobby that I've had for a very long time. I, I have been lucky enough to meet um, celebrities, artists, songwriters along, along my way because of the careers that I've chosen. I told you a little earlier that I'm really big into music. And I feel like when I moved to Nashville, I never had an understanding of what exactly went into music that I do now. And what I mean by that is when you're not from a musical background and you haven't been to Nashville or somewhere that's like big on music, you don't understand what goes into the rehearsals, the songwriting, the band members. Mm -hmm. I mean, a ton of these band members are making absolute shit money. Like, and they're playing for big artists, um, but they're doing it because they're passionate and they're doing it for longevity because they know down the road when artists become really huge, that, you know, hopefully the artist takes care of them. And so I wanted to create a, a concept that exposed people and what they actually do in and out the music world, uh, sports, um, and then TV personalities. Kind of behind the scenes. Behind the scenes. And so, you know, everyone that's seen, I haven't launched it yet. It's about to launch. And the reason I haven't launched it yet is because I wanted to make sure I'm, I'm a perfectionist when it comes to like certain things and I want to make sure it's delivering the right, the right message. Um, to go with that, I told you I'm also very ADD. And so when I watch something or when I watch one of my episodes, I'm like, Oh, I should have done this. And then we'll go back and re-record something like that. But basically what I'm doing is I'm connecting fans to their favorite public figure without them being there. I'm doing a ton of giveaways. I have a buddy that, um, has a heartstrings foundation and he gives me guitars. And so every artist or band member that I do um, and songwriter, I'm going to have them um, sign the guitar and we're going to give a lucky fan one of uh, the guitars and I'm going to run it through social media platforms. It's called uncut experience and it's, it's just raw uncut footage of me picking up um, celebrities and showing the world, like how they got to where they are. Perfect example, Brett Young, good friend of mine. I've known him years. He was highly sought after for playing professional baseball. He threw out his arm. His doctor told him he's never going to play again, which is his song chapters. I don't know if you've heard it, but it's basically him telling the story through a song. He picked up a guitar, started playing at bars. Someone saw him in LA, moved him out here. Crazy story. That's on one of my segments. That's going to be on the first or second segment, but um, I'm also integrating band members and songwriters. So if you've written songs for say Cole Swindell, number one hits, I'm interviewing you and I'm like, Hey, tell me some of the songs you've written. 
you tell me, we call up Cole Swindell on FaceTime or we go pick him up and we all just hang out and tell stories. And wow, I, I wanted it to be as organic as possible. I don't want it to be scripted mm-hmm. and it's going to be a um, traveling podcast. And so if, you know, and I'm just throwing an artist out, say Cole Swindell is playing in Florida and we have the opportunity to go do a live podcast at a bar down there. And I'm friends with Cole, call Cole and be like, Hey, we're going to be in Florida at the same time you are. Would you want to come on down to whatever bar it is and be on our podcast? Well, you know, nine times out of 10, they're going to say, yeah, because they want exposure also. Mm-hmm. I would hope. And because we've become friends. And so then you feel that, that room with, with fans and you connect them. Wow. So. It's it's a cool thing we're gonna launch here in the next couple weeks, um, and you know I'd like you to come check it out. We have a sprinter van that we pick the artists up in. We have two to three videographers, and basically like I'm asking questions to the videographers along the way, like what do you guys want to talk about today, and they're telling me. So I'm making it as like a live show. Um, wow, and it's cool. But yeah, I'd love to check it out. It'd be cool if you guys came on. Yeah, I I think that's awesome. So we can follow support that by just going uncut experience. Add uncut experience. experience. Add uncut experience. So how can our listeners like follow you, like the, to learn more about your story, to follow your journey? Like just just Chase Irwin on Instagram, Facebook. My Instagram is Chase underscore Irwin, and my name is just Chase Irwin. Um, no relation to to Steve Irwin, which everyone asks me, which is funny. <laughs> I'm like, do I have an accent? <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's so random to people. Dude, crazy. This is a, a funny story. So a girl comes into Whiskey Roll all the time. Her last name's Irwin. We've become friends because of her last name. She found out my last name. Matt Irwin played for the Preds. He just got traded to LA team. He was in there one night. Him and I have become friends. He was standing there and I'm like, dude, that girl down there is named, uh, I think it's Brooke Irwin. So we all started talking. The next day, Matt messaged me on Instagram. He's like, dude, I just realized you have a son named Beckham Irwin and my son's name is Beckham Irwin, but he's Canadian. So it's Beckham. It's U-M. Yeah. Mine's E-M. But I'm just like, how small is this like, world? That's crazy. Jeez. That's still no relation to Steve. <laughs> That's awesome. Man, I, I really enjoyed this. We really have to do this some more because I just really, really respect like how you stand up for people. Like how you, you know, you're, you're willing to go to bat for someone you don't know. I've, I've just heard nothing but good things about you here in town. So it's been really awesome to sit down with you and pick your brain. I appreciate it. This was fun. I like yeah. these things. Thanks again for tuning in to The Ultimate Shift. Look, I know life is crazy. Life gets busy. And we all kind of have an idea of where we want to go and where we want to end up. But there's so many things that come up in between. And my goal with this show is to grab one thing from every guest that we can apply to our lives that help get us closer to our end goal. You can follow me on Instagram at Ephraim Glick, Facebook at Ephraim Glick, Twitter at Glick Ephraim, or you can go to the website at EphraimGlick.com. See you next time.